And welcome to Navi Tales. I'm Josh. I am Nick. And today we are continuing our talk on Mother 3. So if you played the entire game in the last week, right? Yeah, you you got you got that out of the way. <laughs> everybody everybody did that? Yeah, you you all played Mother 3 in the last week because we're going to wrap it up now. Yeah. By wrap it up, I mean talk about it for like another hour and then we'll be done. Um but yeah, it's it's a gift. Uh so where we left off, the group just shook off a mother. I want to bring this up real quick because this is totally related. Shout out to you on the perfect Instagram picture. Nick is way better at social media than I am. Uh, by that, I mean he uses it. Um, <laughs> I, I run it. <laughs> uh, I'm also not allowed to talk to people. Apparently, I'm rude. I, You picked the perfect picture. I know. As soon as I saw it, I was like, this is it. This is the one. So shout out to you. That was fucking sweet. So where we left off, the group just sh got shook off a mothership. We wake up with Lucas in a field of sunflowers. As he walks forward, he runs into Boney and continues on. A quick flashback and Hinawa appears, beckoning Lucas to follow her. Hinawa will lead Lucas to a cliff and he jumps off it in an attempt to reach his mother. Lucas and Boney fall into a haystack as the next chapter begins. What sets chapter 6 apart from others is its ambiguous setting. It's unknown if the field is where Lucas landed following his fall from the mothership in the previous chapter, or if this is just a part of Lucas's imagination as a form of coping with Hanawa's death. Uh, I tend to lean towards the latter. The chapter begins with Lucas and Boney walking up in a haystack just outside Tasmili's retirement home. Alec and Wes take Lucas and Boney into the home and explain that they had a dream where Hanawa told them to build a haystack at the exact spot that Lucas and Boney landed. Alec then asks about Duster's whereabouts and suggests that Lucas see the uh, Magipsies for help. After leaving the retirement home, Lucas hears a commotion nearby and finds Ionia bound and gagged and left on the bridge. She takes Lucas and Boney upriver to Aeolia's house, where Ionia takes the liberty of freshening up. While Aeolia is talking with the others, a loud tremor occurs outside and the sky repeatedly changes colors for a brief moment. Aeolia then realizes that she is dying. Her needle has been pulled by someone, meaning that it is time for her to vanish from existence. With some parting words, she leaves behind a razor and some lipstick and uses the last of her remaining PSI to open up a secret passageway beneath her tea table. Lucas, Ionia, and Boney follow it to find that it ends at the courtyard of Osho Castle, the resting place of Aeolia's needle. There, the golden needle that was previously visible in Chapter 2 is gone, with a hole secreting purple smoke left in its wake. Ionia explains that the needle is one of seven that conceal a special power, only accessible once all seven are pulled. She fears the worst, believing that whoever pulled Aeolia's needle may have a dark heart or no heart at all. This should feel familiar to you. Yeah. Because Kingdom Hearts. Because Kingdom Hearts. Ionia it's Xehanort. Wait, what? It's Xehanort. It's Xehanort. Xehanort is the head of the pig masks. Yeah. Ionia provides an in-depth explanation on how the Seven Needles work. The needles can only be pulled by those who know the PK Love ability, which obviously we've established Ness already knows. Or not Ness. Jesus Christ. We've already established that Lucas already knows that. When a needle is pulled, the puller passes their heart onto the dark dragon that sleeps beneath the Nowhere Islands. And there's Seven Needles? No coincidence, Xehanort. Xehanort. Because Seven. Because seven. Now we just gotta get. Now we just gotta get thirteen in there, and we're golden. You can go get my parents to go talk about the days of the week. Oh god, not again. <laughs> not again. When all the needles are pulled, the dragon will awaken, and the result will either be beneficial, if the needles were pulled by a good-hearted person, or catastrophic, if the needles were pulled by a dark-hearted person. However, there is no telling what will happen if the needles were pulled by a heartless person. Ionia then leaves, asking Lucas to pull the rest of the needles before whoever pulled. Aeolias does, and Lucas finds a transceiver phone similar to Facades. Answering a call on it, Lucas learns that the next needle is near the Chimera Laboratory. After returning to the surface, Boney drags Lucas to Hanawa's grave. There, Nippolite, the gravekeeper, is paying his respects to Hanawa. Upon noticing Lucas, he gives him the Courage Badge, saying that it is a present from Flint. Nippolite also muses over how Hanawa's murder and Klaus's disappearance has destroyed Flint's life. Flint's routine consists solely of mourning Hanawa and searching for Klaus. Lucas and Boney head off to find the Chimera Lab. At the Murazaki Forest, Lucas and Boney come across the Chimera Lab and infiltrate it by taking a part-time job there. 
donning pig mask helmets, the two are tasked with finding two monkeys due for experimentation that have escaped, Salsa and Samba. Taking the opportunity to explore the place, Lucas and Boney learn of the brutal practices that occur in the lab, several of which are eerily Mengele-esque. Eventually, the duo find Salsa and Samba, but the latter run off after mistaking the former for pig masks. Meanwhile, the chimeras appear to have gone rogue, and Lucas and Boney are attacked by an unfinished cybernetic lion chimera. After a clayman incapacitates the lion, the lab hears news that the ultimate chimera has escaped and is terrorizing the workers. The pig masks explain that the ultimate chimera is unbeatable and will instantly stalk anyone it sees, usually killing them with its powerful jaws and razor-sharp teeth. State of emergency is declared in the labs as the ultimate chimera continues its massacre. Fun fact. New Pork City. Yes. Purple thing that fucking insta-kills? Yeah. Ultimate chimera. Gotcha. Makes sense now. <laughs> yeah, now you know why it insta-kills. Right. Lucas and Boney continue searching for Salsa and Samba, while simultaneously trying to avoid the jaws of the ultimate chimera. Along the way, they see an old man hiding in a trash can. He introduces himself as Dr. Andonuts. Is it Andonuts? Nuts? I've always pronounced it and donuts and donuts. That's what it's supposed that like that's what it's obviously a play on. Yeah, but I think that a lot of people pronounce it and donuts. Okay, so like it's it's fine. You got to remember, I played these games when I was like a kid, right? Uh, up until recently, and I read them like I was a kid when I played it recently. Like yeah, I was I was I was a weed lad. So I was a weed lad. So I always pronounced it. It's the same way like when we were talking about like PK Love Alpha. I always called it PK Love A. Right. Like, it's just, like, this is through a lens that is really strange, because this is nostalgia for me and not for you. Right, right. So, uh, uh, I think Andonauts is generally what people agree on. He introduces himself as Dr. Andonauts, and explains that he is being forced to work as the Pig Mask's chief technological developer. Previous details in the game show that his other inventions included the Clayman and the instant revitalizing machines stationed in several locations. <coughs> Spawn points. Later, Lucas and Boney manage to corner Salsa and Samba in the basement, but they escape and flee to the far east room of the first floor. There, Lucas and Boney corner the monkeys again, but are cornered in turn by the ultimate chimera. Fearing for their lives, Lucas and Boney flee, dropping their disguises and allowing Salsa to recognize Lucas as the blonde kid who, with the help of a Drago, freed him from Facade and the pig masks three years ago. As Lucas and Boney try to stay alive, Dr. Antonauts, reveals that he gave the ultimate chimera a precautionary weakness. The big red button on its back serves as a power switch for the chimera, which went rogue before the switch could be removed. As the ultimate chimera pounces at Lucas, Salsa suddenly jumps in and hits the switch, deactivating the chimera. With the threat incapacitated, Lucas and Boney go off to continue their original search for the second needle. However, as they leave, the yellow bird that rests on the ultimate chimera's head, jumps down and presses the chimera switch, reactivating the beast and allowing it to escape the lab and run off into the wild. Continuing onward, Salsa uses one of his tricks to perform a special dance that allows him to open a previously unopenable door for Lucas and Boney. Through it is the house of the Magipsy Doria, with an additional guest, Kumatora, who was taken in by Doria after falling from the mothership from earlier. Knowing that Lucas must be the one to awaken the Dark Dragon, she reveals that her needle is beneath the pond outside her house. With the help of Dr. Andonauts and a special chimera, Lucas is able to reveal the second needle. Meanwhile, Kumatora bids farewell to Salsa, who gives her a nut as a parting gift. With all his might, Lucas grasps the needle and tears it out of the earth, causing the same pseudo-apocalyptic phenomenon as when Aeolia's needle was pulled. Lucas also learns PK Love Beta as an aftershock of the event. Doria disappears, and Lucas, Boney, and Kumatora continue searching for the rest of the needles. After leaving Doria's house and defeating an unruly mouse, Lucas and friends run into the mole cricket that play fought with Lucas and Klaus during their visit to Mount Oriander at the very beginning of the game. He invites Lucas to a rematch in the mole cricket hole. There, Lucas easily defeats the mole cricket and continues through the tunnel with his friends, eventually reaching the other side at Snowcap Mountain. There, Lucas and company encounter Lydia, the Magipsy of Snowcap Mountain's Needle. She invites the group in, where it is revealed that she is incredibly warm-hearted to everyone, even a stranded pig-mask captain that remains in her home. Lydia states that her needle is behind her house. 
Hearing the sound of the pig mask airship, Lucas and friends rush outside, just in time to witness the pulling of Lydia's needle by the pig mask's commander-in-chief, the masked man. Lucas and the masked man form a telepathic connection with each other, revealing to Lucas that the masked man is a heartless being. The masked man departs, leaving the group to fight the Steel Mechorilla. After the Mechorilla's defeat, Lydia urges Lucas to be the one to awaken the Dark Dragon and asks to check on the pig mask captain then disappears into the air like Aeolia and Doria. When leaving, the pigmask captain is seen tending for Lydia's pet rabbits in her absence. He is also unmasked, revealing that pigmasks are just regular people who have sworn their ultimate allegiance to the pig king. Lucas, Kumatora, and Boney leave Snowcap Mountain and head back to Tasmili by launching a refrigerator off the top of a mountain. Life is great. Yeah. This game is great. <laughs> Landing in the cemetery, Lucas spots a strange jar that opens a peculiar nearby grave. Lucas and company jump down the hole and continue their adventure. Meanwhile, people are leaving Tasmanian droves, heading off to seek better lives in the big city. The hole leads to an underground tunnel, specifically the one used by Facade to go from Death Desert to Tasmanian Village. Another callback, because this game's all about callbacks. The entrance to the desert is closed. Lucas and friends follow the passageway until they find a strange coffee table that is actually a form of ground transport. The group rides the coffee table down the highway until reaching the closed entrance to Thunder Tower. You can see influences like where Undertale got influences with stuff like this. Right. Because Undertale's like obviously very influenced by these games. Oh, yeah, super. You can just tell. Um, Toby Fox used to frequent forums that uh, both my cousin and I still frequent. <laughs> Yeah, and he made that Earthbound mod. Yeah, he, his first real jump into gaming is the Earthbound Halloween mod, um, which I've played. Like I said, Toby Fox has frequented those forums. I've interacted with him lightly when I was younger. Yeah. There, a previously closed pathway is made accessible, leading to a strange area called Saturn Valley. There they are. My boys. The area is populated by a race of bizarre creatures called Mr. Saturns who've been taken hostage by invading pig masks. The pig masks know that there is a needle nearby and are torturing the Mr. Saturns via scary stories told by fright bots. Yes, that is how you scare, that, that is how you torture Mr. Saturns. You tell them bad things. <laughs> you just scare them. They are innocent gifts. They really are. That I throw at people in Smash Bros. To break their shields. <laughs> Among the Mr. Saturns is Duster, who was taken in by the Mr. Saturns following his fall from the mothership. Lucas, Kumatora, and Boney drive out to the pig masks and free the Mr. Saturns and Duster. They drive on a table. <laughs> in return, the Mr. Saturns allow Lucas, Kumatora, Duster, and Boney to access Fire Mountain, where the fourth needle lies. And so does Dodongo. At the base of the Fire Mountain is the home of Phrygia, the sleeping Majipsi. Being mainly focused on beauty rest, she provides Lucas with some encouraging words to tell the boulders blocking the path to the mountain so that the boulders will move out of the way. With a clear path, Lucas and company trek deeper into the mountain, facing numerous tough enemies along the way. At some point, they encounter a group of pig masks, gossiping about how facades changed since the stuff with the mothership. However, they notice Lucas and flee before they can divulge any more information. This piques curiosity, given the fact that Facade apparently died after falling from Thunder Tower. The curiosity is answered once Lucas and company reach the fourth needle, and a voice shouts, I found you, I found you, <laughs> is what Facade says. Yes, that is exactly an exact quote from the game of what this person says. Hold up. You'll see why. Descending upon the group is Facade, who actually survived his fall from Thunder Tower and was given cybernetic enhancements to ensure his survival. However, he is left unable to speak any known language, instead producing a distorted variation of the Majipsi's music. This forces him to travel with an interpreter who translates his music into language. So, after everything he says, they follow it up with, is what Facade says, because someone is speaking for right. him. Right. That's great. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> Facade now calling himself New Facade, in reference to his condition, divulges on the humiliation he suffered after falling from Thunder Tower. Swearing revenge, he suddenly attacks Lucas, presenting a truly difficult fight. However, New Facade is eventually defeated and flees while declaring that he will return. With all his might, Lucas pulls the fourth needle, prompting Phrygia to wake up for the first time in the game just to witness the event and bid farewell. 
Lucas learns PK loves Zeta from the needle and heads off to find the fifth needle. However, a single pig mask major destroys the exit to Saturn Valley, and Lucas and company are trapped. Turning the tables back in Lucas's favor, the Mr. Saturns are able to build a flying machine using a wire cage and several birds, some of which Lucas catches as a contribution. During this time, one Mr. Saturn takes Lucas's courage badge in order to clean it, and another Mr. Saturn provides the group with coffee. As the coffee is consumed, messages of encouragement are relayed to the group against a psychedelic background with a familiar format. The machine is able to fly Lucas and company out of Saturn Valley before falling into the ocean and washing, washing up on Cerulean Beach. There he fought Misty and... Uh, wrong game. <laughs> That's why I wanted you to read it, because I think I'm funny. He's just so fucking um, funny. Fucking cute. Tell me I'm wrong. Uh, upon waking up, they decide... Fuck you. <laughs> upon waking up, they decide to continue the search for the remaining three needles. Learning that the next needle is on an island on the other side of the ocean, Lucas and company decide to swim there, lacking any other form of transport. I love this game. <laughs> That's the logic. And it works. Walking into the water, the group traverses the seabed, refilling their lungs when necessary via suggestively designed oxygen suppliers. Eventually, the group... <laughs> they, they look like dicks. <laughs> Eventually, the group is pulled into the currents of an aquatic entity known as Master Eddie, who engages them in battle. Master Eddie puts up a strong fight, attacking twice each turn. He's a bitch. There's only one boss I hate more than Master Eddie. Just as he's about to be defeated, he summons a gigantic whirlpool that instantly defeats the group, washes away their items, and sends them to drift the waves unconscious. The group washes up on the shores of Taintain Island, weak and with little chance of survival. Their lack of items and Lucas and Komatora's lack of sufficient PP <laughs> prevents the... <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> prevents them from healing, and their path is blocked by a zombie shroom too strong for them to defeat. With no other choice, Lucas, Kumatora, and Duster, and just some strange purple mushrooms, Boney refuses to eat them, sensing something suspicious. While the mushrooms do heal Lucas, Kumatora, and Duster completely, they turn out to be psilocybin mushrooms and induce a series of tormenting hallucin hallucinations. They're a specific kind of mushroom. The, the, they're one of the varieties of mushroom that are the drug mushrooms. Like, you know how people say that you're going to take mushrooms? There's actually a couple different versions of that. This yep. is one of the strands. Nice. I don't know anything about mushrooms. I've never done drugs in my life. I was listening to Critical Role, and they took mushrooms. Two of the characters took mushrooms. Ah, yes. And it was great. Did uh, they take them in IRL, too? Because that would have made it even better. I wish. <laughs> no. They had, like, they had to, like, lay low for a couple days, so they, Matt was just like, what do you want to do? And they were like, we're going to take these shrooms. Um, so they had to, like, they had to pass a save, because obviously they weren't safe to eat. Um, so, like a con save? Yeah, the con save or wisdom save, something like that, because if they failed, they would have been stunned for an hour. Um, but they passed, and so they tripped balls and could see 10 feet into the ethereal plane. That's fucking amazing. <laughs> um, so, so they're like, we're going to the graveyard. I, oh my god! <laughs> oh. Man, I wish I could talk about experiences on this. I've never done a drug in my life. Yes, definitely. Um, not once. Never done, a, never done a single strand of drug. I just know a lot about drugs because I've never done any. Exactly. All research. All the creatures on the island appear... <laughs> All research. All research. All the creatures on the island appear to the affected group as people they know, who spout messages reflecting the group's darker sides, particularly their fears, tragic memories, and other negative emotions. Lucas seems to be affected the most, seeing himself as below everyone else and deserving scorn. These figures also attack the group when talked to, taking the form of eerie smiles before later revealing their true forms. We talk about how sad Lucas is all the time. I love Lucas. He's a cutie. He's a cutie patootie. He's just a sad little boy. Eventually, the group reaches the house of the Magipsy Mixolydia, who appears unusually feminine and beautiful for the normally masculine-looking Magipsies. She also appears with Ocho, a suave-looking sailor. Mixoldia immediately recognizes that Lucas and company ingested the island's hallucination mushrooms and reverses its effect by smacking each of them on the back of the head using a board, board of wood. Because that's how you fix someone tripping balls. 
Once the effect wore off, she and Ocho appeared to the group in their actual state, a pink-haired humanoid with masculine physique and a large magenta octopus with a black cap, <laughs> because that's the normal one. <laughs> Mixoldia allows the group to stay the night at her house while Ocho gives them all the items they lost during their fight against Master Eddie. Ocho explains that he regularly combs the beaches of Taintain Island and happened to come across the group's stuff. Mixolydia allows the group to go after her needle, but warns that it is well guarded. Once the group reaches the site, they understand why. It is guarded by the Barrier Trio. Three large golems consisting of Barrier Man, Barrier Dude, and Barrier Gal. The Barrier Trio manages to prove themselves a formidable force, but are defeated anyways by Lucas and company. However, before Lucas can pull the needle, the pig masks arrive, and the masked man incapacitates Lucas and company with a bolt of lightning from his energy sword. The masked man then pulls the needle and flies off. Mixolydia then arrives, despairing over the increasing advance of the pig masks. Before she disappears, she gives Lucas a jar of yummy pickles to give to Ionia. Okay, I think I gotta say real quick, this could be done in different orders. I'm doing the order that's like canon. Yeah. But like... Sometimes it's to someone else. It's the pick. She gives the pickles to give to someone else, and you've already done Ionia and stuff like that. Just so you know, if you uh, are wondering why it's in this order, this is technically canon. Although it really doesn't matter what order you do it in. Just throwing it out there. Lucas and company then ride home on Ojo's back, only to find out that Tasmili is nearly devoid of life. Nearly everyone has left the village in search of a better life in the big city, leaving Tasmili destined to become a ghost town. Knowing that there's no reason to keep living in Tasmili, Lucas leads the group to Ionia's house, hoping to find the last two needles. Making their way through the Argilla Pass, the group eventually reaches Ionia's house. There, she takes the jar of yummy pickles and provides the group with waters of time to sprinkle on the time-locked vines in front of the Chupi Chupyoi temple, so that they will clear out and make the entrance to the temple accessible. Lucas and company head off to the temple. Along the way, they bump into a hooded Mr. Saturn that gives back Lucas's courage badge. Upon being cleaned, it is revealed to be a Franklin badge, a legendary artifact said to deflect bolts of electricity. Franklin badge! That's what I want to have tattooed on me. I want to have a Franklin badge tattooed on me. And then I can just throw lightning at you and you'll be fine. Yeah. Um... At the Chupi Chupyoid Temple, the pig masks are trying in vain to break through the vines that block the entrance. Just as the masked man grows impatient and tries to palm the entrance open, Lucas and company arrive. Lucas forms another telepathic link with the masked man, who fires another intense bolt of lightning at him. This time, however, the bolt is reflected off of Lucas's Franklin badge and back at the masked man. Learning that Lucas and company have grown too strong to simply brush aside, the masked man engages them in battle. His status as the commander-in-chief of the pig masks easily shows as he's one of the toughest opponents in the entire game. However, Lucas and company eventually manage to defeat him, prompting him and his army to retreat. Fuck this boss. Fuck him. Real good. With the pig mask gone, Lucas pours the water of time onto the temple's vines, which quickly mature and wither away, leaving the doors open. Inside the temple lies Ionia's needle. The temple also contains a mural which depicts a concept of majority rule, when the seven needles are all pulled, whoever pulled the most needles will be the one who awakens the dark dragon. Before it can be pulled, Ionia walks in and gives Kumatora a parting gift. She teaches her the power of PK's Starstorm. Hell yeah! With preparations in order, Lucas pulls the sixth needle and realizes the amazing power of PK Love Omega, the strongest hero of the attack. Ionia then disappears, orphaning Kumatora who was taken in by Ionia as a surrogate daughter many years ago. With the race to the final needle underway, Lucas and friends are stopped by a well-dressed man who claims to represent the king, whom he refers to as Porky. He claims that the king has invited Lucas and his friends to go to New Park City, the same big city that everyone already migrated to. Without any explanation, Lucas and company accept the offer and head to the big city like everyone else. At New Pork City, all the residents of Tasmili Village live in perfect glory. The town captures the very essence of capitalist life, from the stores to the skyscrapers. Even more noteworthy are the numerous images of King Porky scattered throughout the town. These effigies finally clarify that the fabled Pig King is actually Pokey Minch. 
who was last seen in the Earthbound series timeline, fleeing from the cave of the past following the destruction of the embodiment of evil Gygus. It becomes clear that Pokey ended up founding and leading the Pigmask army and is now the king of the Nowhere Island. It can also be inferred that Pokey changed his name to Porky at some point for unknown reasons. However, Note that Porky is the character's Japanese name and Mother 2, and the name Pokey was actually a mistranslation. Uh, the preceding sentence serves as a way of addressing this by taking the Mother Trilogy's content into full account. So he... It should never have been Pokey. Yeah, it should always have been Porky. It should always have been Porky, because it, it is in Japan. Yeah. And it makes this game make more sense that way. Right. Um, so anyway, yeah, the... Just so you know. <laughs> Just so you know. And he, I mean, he always looked like a pig. He always was Porky Lynch. Right. Minch. At some point, Lucas and company are drawn into the city's cinema theater, which perpetually airs a film chronicling the events of Earthbound. What's more important, however, is a foul odor coming from the seats that turns out to be the result of a stink bug. Boney chases the bug through the broken speaker, disappearing from sight. Lucas Duster and Kumatora follow him into the sewers through an entrance in the New Pork Arcade, revealed by a man complaining of the air quality. The group retrieves Boney in a slum of abandoned apartments in the side of the sewers. More important is that one of these apartments houses Beanstalk Letter, the old bell ringer of Tasmili, who remained unseen for quite some time. Letter was clearly taken prisoner by the pig masks, as seen by his legs being chained up in the apartment below. When the group goes to up to him, he speaks for the first time in the game. He clarifies that he wasn't a mute, but rather chose not to speak unless it was absolutely necessary. Letter then takes the opportunity to divulge everything he knows about the history of the Nowhere Islands. Strap in, boys, you're about to get a lore punch. Long ago, a world spanning much farther than the Nowhere Islands existed and was populated with innumerable people. Eventually, the world was destroyed by mankind, who sought refuge aboard a white ship created for the sole purpose of saving mankind in the events of an apocalypse. It's basically the plot to Wally. The ship ended up taking them to the Nowhere Islands, where they were protected by and coexisted with the Dark Dragon. However, mankind soon realized that they couldn't live together with the dragon anymore. As a result, a group of special people used the Seven Needles to place the dragon in a state of suspended animation, hiding it beneath the earth. These people and their descendants, the Magypsies, guarded the needles until the dragon's power was absolutely necessary. Fearing another apocalypse, the people of Nowhere Island decided to wipe their memories using the Egg of Light and start over, believing that it was the lifestyle of our world that brought about the end. Keeping the original names, they founded Tasmili Village and lived their lives out in peace and harmony, unable to remember anything from the distant past. According to Letter, they wanted to create a plethora of myths and legends, but were unable to due to the memory alteration process being done in haste. In order to keep everyone's memories from reverting, Letter's mind was not wiped, being chosen specifically because his incredible height made him stand out. Serving as Tazmili's bell ringer, the sound of the bell would keep people's new memories intact via a suggestion. He was tasked with divulging the truth about Tazmili when it was truly necessary. That being now. On a brief note of tangent, a kingdom existed long ago, led by the king of Oso, before the white ship arrived on the Nowhere Islands. However, the kingdom disappeared long before the white ship's arrival, but still played a vital role in the development of Tasmili. Kumatora was an orphan when she was taken aboard the white ship. Upon arriving at the Nowhere Islands, she was taken into the care of the Magypsies and given the role of Oso Castle Princess. Tying into this were the assignment of Wes and Duster as Kumatora's retainers. Although the people of Tasmili Village didn't know how their charade would turn out, they were able to live in peace for ages until Porky arrived. Using the phase distorter 1 that he stole from Dr. Andonut, during the events of Earthbound, Porky traveled through time and space, eventually arriving at the Nowhere Islands, unable to return to his own era. He learned about the secret of the island's people from Lakaria, the seventh Magypsy. Knowing this knowledge, he brought people from previous time periods onto the islands using the phase disorder, and brainwashed them into becoming his servants, creating the Pigmask army. The citizens of Newport City were also subjugated to brainwashing as well. Viewing the world as his own personal toy box, Porky reshaped the land to his liking, resulting in the fascinating Chimera project and the modernized Tasmili. 
After learning about the Seven Needles and the Dark Dragon from Locria, Porky decided to pull the needles and use the dragon's power for himself. However, the only people capable of pulling the needles are the select few who are capable of learning PK Love, meaning that neither Porky nor the Magipsies could pull the needles. This ultimately clarifies that the Masked Man is being used as Porky's proxy to pull the needles, and Lucas is the only one who can stop him. Letter, honoring the word leader that serves as his namesake, orders Lucas to pull the final needle and awaken the Dark Dragon before the Masked Man does, concerned for the fate of reality itself. Taking Letter's orders to heart, Lucas, Duster, Kumatora, and Boney head out of the sewers to begin their mission. On their way out, they are ambushed by New Facade, now updated and renamed Miracle Facade. Miracle Facade divulges on his passionate hatred towards the groups for defeating him in Fire Mountain and attacks them out of revenge again. During the fight, Miracle Facade catches the group off guard when he hits them with PK Starstorm, revealing that he is capable of learning PSI. Despite this intense buff, Miracle Facade is eventually defeated. Damaged beyond repair, Miracle Facade delivers a testament that all of the events that have taken place so far are all part of Porky's game. Claiming freedom from the game both figuratively and literally, Miracle Facade self-destructs, the wreckage falling into the sewers dead. On the streets of New Pork City, more and more people have begun to gather, indicating that something big is about to occur. Lucas and company acknowledge this and begin to traverse the Empire Porky building. The Empire Porky building. <laughs> Intending to confront Porky himself. Along the way, they run into the DCMC, who are about to hold their last concert ever. Duster temporarily rejoins the band for this one final outing, and the DCMC holds the biggest performance ever, promising an indefinitely long show. Which is amazing. <laughs> However, the concert is interrupted by a power outage committed by Porky himself. Porky knows that Lucas and company are trying to do and personally requests that they meet him on the 100th floor. The group climbs higher and higher up the building. On one floor, they find the ultimate Chimera, who found its way into New Pork City, following its escape from the Chimera lab. The creature poses a smaller threat this time, and it is isolated to a single hallway and is easily bypassable. Of more importance, however, is that one of the floors contains the house of Lacaria, the traitorous Magipsy. The house contains a pair of brass horns, a plethora of luxury bananas, and a familiar peddler's outfit. In addition, a nearby mouse describes that Lacaria was seen as disturbing by the other Magipsies, and had an unsettling <laughs> laugh. Despite this, the mouse was good friends with Lacaria, whose return he awaits. All of this implies that Lacaria the seventh Magipsy was actually facade. Another floor contains a strange laboratory concealing an even stranger room. The nice person hot springs. Here, people are kept in incubator tanks reminiscent of the ones on Mount Etoya and inside Stonehenge Base. Inside these tanks, people are immersed in an unknown green fluid, somehow being psychologically manipulated into obeying Porky. Eventually, Lucas and company reach the last few floors, where the chauffeur who took the group in to the city in the first place greets them. He explains that he is also the host of several games that everybody must pass in order to meet Porky. In these games, Lucas plays against a robotic duplicate of the Pig King, dubbed Mini Porky. However, Lucas isn't supposed to win. He's supposed to lose to the Mini Porky by a narrow margin. Eventually, Lucas passes each of the games and is granted access to meet Porky. Along the way, he, Duster, Kumatora, and Boney face off against Porky's last trial, the Natural Killer Cyborg, a cybernetic supermachine capable of incredible powerful attacks. Despite its brawn, the group manages to destroy it before continuing their trek to the 100th floor. On the 99th, this is my favorite part of the fucking game. I'm so glad I get to read this. On the 99th floor, the group finds a long empty hallway where the loudspeakers play a soft ambient tune, which is the title theme to Earthbound Beginnings, aka Mother One. Even more notable is what lies beyond the door at the end of the hallway, the Hall of Memories. Here, Porky has collected numerous pieces of memorabilia from the events of Earthbound and showcases it via a ride on a boat designed after his old next-door neighbor's house. So you ride on a boat that looks like Ness's house. That's fantastic. Porky's also kept the pencil eraser whose sole purpose is to destroy a nearby iron pencil, which has rusted considerably in the events between Earthbound and Mother 3. It's 
just solidifies that these are this is one, two, three. Like yeah. it's three games, even right. though they feel very different. They're all self-contained. It solidifies that like these are three games. And like the same franchise. It's great. Right. right. The best part is that it plays the mother one music. Finally, at the hundredth floor, the group comes face to face with Porky Minch. He asks that the group engages in peaceful negotiation talks with him before exploding, regardless of the response. I feel like Donald Trump does that sometimes. <laughs> it just feels like him. In reality, the group met one of eleven Mecha Porkies, and the other ten ambush the group and fight. Seven of the ten robots are destroyed by the group, but the former regains the upper hand by overwhelming the latter with reinforcements, miscellaneous enemies, and other mecha porkies. However, the DCMC suddenly burst in and destroy the remaining robots, explaining along the way that they figured out how Porky was able to win the allegiance of Tasmali in the first place, brainwashing them through DCMC's music. Ben finally gets its revenge and helps the group to win the battle. In the fight's aftermath, the residents of Tasmali, except Isaac, who became a pig mask, gather on the 100th floor to meet Porky. Obligingly, the Pig King appears for them, descending from the ceiling on his life support bed. Porky has aged tremendously since his last sighting in Earthbound and is in ill health. Porky admonishes Tasmili for thinking that it could escape its past by altering their memories, and divulges on his sadistic nature. He also reveals that the seventh and final needle, LaCroix's needle, has been discovered beneath New Pork City itself. On this note, he goes off and drops Lucas, Duster, Kumatora, Boney, and Flint down into a cavern innumerable miles beneath the earth. Inside the cavern, the group gradually descends into the lowest passageway, where the needle is sure to be hidden. At some point, Flint stops the group and continues on his own, growing suspicious of the masked man's identity. Lucas, Duster, Kumatora, and Boney follow after him. When everyone catches up, Flint makes a startling revelation. The masked man is Klaus. After falling from the Drago Plateau in Chapter 1, Klaus was taken by the pig masks and converted into the perfect chimera for Porky's use. Flint, while shocked at this discovery, finally earns closure. His three-year search for Klaus has finally come to an end. As Lucas, Duster, Kumatora, and Boney continue onwards to the final needle, they are suddenly stopped by Porky who engages them in battle. During their fight, Porky explains everything he hasn't told them. Because of his repeated time travel, his age accelerated to a point where he has petrified and is dependent on his bed mecha for interaction. If you remember Starship Emissary from... Subspace Emissary. Subspace Emissary from... Yeah. That. From the, Brawl. From Brawl. Yeah. Words. When... Yeah. When... Uh, <laughs> what, that thing that Lucas is fighting? Yeah. That is this fight. Gotcha. He has also been rendered immortal, meaning that even if he is defeated, he can still return regardless of his situation. Porky also claims that the masked man's lack of a heart means that if he is the one to awaken the Dark Dragon, then all of reality will be erased, a possibility Porky is more than prepared for. Eventually, Porky's machine runs out of power, leaving him helpless, but still immortal. Seeking escape, Porky seals himself inside the Absolute Safe Capsule, a device built for him by Dr. Andonitz and Mr. Saturn's. The capsule keeps Porky protected from all harm, but he is unable to do anything in return. By default, the battle ends. At this point, Dr. Andonuts appears. He explains that he repeatedly warned Porky not to use the absolutely safe capsule because once it is closed, it can never be reopened. The capsule wasn't designed to protect whatever's inside from outside harm, but rather to protect the world from whatever is inside. Since Porky is now isolated from the rest of the world, his claim about always being able to return has been disproven. Yet, since Porky's goal was to be freed from everyone that disliked him and everything he disliked, fleeing into the absolutely safe capsule may have given Porky exactly what he wanted. In the meantime, Dr. Ananuts gives Porky childish payback in the form of rolling the absolutely safe capsule back and forth. Eventually, the group reaches the seventh needle, and Klaus. Still under Porky's influence, he fires an intense bolt of lightning at the group. This time, he manages to knock out everyone but Lucas, whose Franklin badge def deflects the lightning back at him. With the circumstances narrowed down, Klaus and Lucas duel. During the fight, Lucas's grief prevents him from fighting Klaus, leaving him only able to defend himself. Klaus easily overpowers his brother with laser attacks, PK love, and the like. 
However, a voice starts to echo across the battlefield, and Nawa's voice. Calling from beyond, she pleads the brothers to stop fighting, focusing most of her attention on the mindless, heartless Klaus. While her words are initially futile, Hanawa eventually reaches Klaus, who starts to become tormented by his reawakening memories. He responds by increasing his firepower and prepares to kill Lucas with a blast of PK love. However, Flint jumps out and takes the blast for Lucas. Flint attempts to speak to Klaus, but is further incapacitated by another blast of PK love. Angered, Lucas gains the courage to fight, but is initially scolded by Hanawa and becomes heartbroken during subsequent attacks. Eventually, Hanawa awakens one final memory in Klaus, the day he and Lucas received their names. He remembers Hanawa and Flint sharing their ambitions for their children and starts to remember who he really is. With Klaus starting to revert to his original self, he becomes considerably weakened by his emotions. Overcome by all this, he eventually removes his helmet, signifying that he is once again Klaus and no longer the masked man. However, he is racked with ages of grief. Nawa's murder, his failed attempt at revenge, his conversion into a chimera, and the flood of emotions Hanawa's ghost surged into him. Unable to handle any of it anymore, Klaus kills himself, firing one last lightning bolt at Lucas, intentionally reflecting it off of Lucas's Franklin badge and back at him. Severely electrocuted and nearing death, he staggers towards Lucas and collapses into his arm. Klaus then gives one final goodbye to what is left of his family and takes his final breath. Lucas rises and takes in the Requiem. Flint asks Lucas to forgive Klaus for his actions and then instructs Lucas to pull the final needle and awaken the Dark Dragon. Lucas walks over to the needle, firmly grasps it in his hands, and with all his might, pulls it out of the earth. Having pulled four out of the seven needles, Lucas awakens the Dark Dragon, resulting in an event unlike any other. Awakened from its long slumber, the Dark Dragon summons a second apocalypse, this time destroying the pig masks and its influences on, no on the Nowhere Islands. The world crumbles once more, and when the pig mask mothership is struck down by a stray piece of brimstone, it becomes clear that the pig masks are gone forever. The scene then fades to black, leaving only some text saying the end with a question mark. The player uses the D-pad at this point. The end question mark text will move away, and regardless of how they push the D-pad, the player themselves will walk around the dark screen. By doing this, they are able to interact with the game's characters, whose fates are left ambiguous, though it is likely implied and often accepted that they survived. Those definitely included within this group are Kumatora, Wes, a Mr. Saturn, a Mole Cricket, a Save Frog, Porky, the Rope Snake, and Boney. The characters discussed the second apocalypse, which was enough to make Kumatora cry for the first time. Some of them, such as the aforementioned Kumatora, are recovering from their fears, while others describe the event as a miracle and look forward to the future. Along the way, the player finds the doorknob that Thomas pulled off of Flint's front door back in Chapter 1 and tucks it away. An object implied to be the absolutely safe capsule is among the party wobbling with glee. Several of the characters in the area also express joy and relief that the player survived the apocalypse, and a character implied to be Lucas bids the player farewell, hoping that they will meet again. And that is the end of Mother 3. I love this game. I don't know what it is about this franchise, and I'll, I want to put Undertale into it. Because sure. Undertale captures it perfectly. Of, like, this subtlety that creates emotion. Because, like, the end of Undertale is so emotional. Right. Like, the end of Lo Mother 3 is infinitely more emotional to me. The end of Earthbound is so emotional to me. Like, you're, you're, you are bidding goodbye to this world. And, like, you could play the game again, but you can never play the game for the first time again. Exactly. And it, it's something else yeah it is and I've, I've experienced that with other games so i, I know what you what you mean and, and that's what really i think drew me to the mother franchise to begin with hey the the end of earthbound really like i was leaving this world and i felt sad because i'm actually leaving it in this game the, the world ended so there's nothing to go back to right <laughs> kills me uh also thing i didn't mention after all that's done there is a final end 
with no question mark, kind of solidifying that it was the end of the franchise, which it obviously was. They haven't come out with a mother game in 15 years. Right, because so, <laughs> they don't care. And I don't want them to come out with another mother game. Mother 3 is the perfect follow-up to Mother 2. It's the perfect follow-up to Earthbound. So just give it, just give us that game legitly. Just please localize this fucking game to me. That's all I want. Please. Like, if they announce that, I'll fucking sell my soul. To Daddy Nintendo. To Daddy Nintendo. Sakurai! <laughs> As we like to end every episode, Nick, what have you been playing? Uh, How's Sma- Smash? Yeah. <laughs> Smash Bros. Um, yeah, I unlocked everybody since we last spoke. Um, and I've just been chugging through uh, adventure mode. It's way bigger than I thought. Yeah, I love it. Massive. And it's like sunk some hours into this game. Uh, it's great. It's just uh, continuing what we said last episode of all the fights are fun and unique and how they represent the spirits you're fighting. I got really good with Pikachu because f- for the longest time I didn't really have anybody I gave a shit about using. Um, so I, I, would, I used Kirby a lot at the beginning and Mario a bit and then I got Pikachu so I used Pikachu a lot. I got really good with Pikachu. And I used uh, the Inkling a bit. But then, like, it's just like, I, I also want to use, this, uh, I want to get good with Zelda, but I haven't found Zelda yet. And, like, but I found, like, two of the me characters. Like, I don't give a shit. Yeah, that's how I felt. Um, <laughs> It's going to be a while before you get Zelda. Yeah, I know where Zelda is. It's, a, it's, a, it's deep in there. Damn it. But, um, but, yeah, it's been fun. I've been just doing that and uh, leveling up spirits. You know, I, I unlocked the gym so I can level them up faster than the other things the uh the exploration ones yeah but you send spirits out to bring back items so every enhanceable spirit i've been throwing in the gym so they get to 99 and i can enhance them right uh, which is great to just see what they turn into yeah that's my favorite part we were talking about it last night like boo turns into king boo yeah it's just shit like that it's great um but yeah i'm having a blast i really wish and i thought there was going to be because i thought like before the game came out there was like a big thing about like shit getting leaked or like cutscenes getting leaked but like there's no cutscenes in this story so like I'm kind of missing that from like Brawl but hey, like it's still spoilers yeah there are more okay I got you okay don't feel that bad trust um, All right. I still haven't beaten it because I really want to be it, beat it and see Matt Pat's game theory on it yeah but I, like I want to like do every like I want to do every spirit on the board you want to get 100% yeah because yeah. I think that affects the ending I think it May. I thought I saw that somewhere, but I don't know what the ending is or how it affects it, if it does. But I thought I saw, like, true ending, which implies that, like, there's a not true ending. Right. Which probably means you have to, like, 100% it, which is fine. Yeah, it's. I mean, I was planning on doing that anyway. Yeah. There's only a couple spirits I've left behind, and I want to go back to them. So, I, like, chug forward. Yeah, but yeah, it's, uh, it's great. I'm currently... Uh, gotten to the point where I'm like just kind of chugging through it because I uh, learned uh, infinite holding the smash button yeah. and uh, always having uh, what's it called super armor uh, so I just hold F smash with Bowser and just <laughs> let it fly have you like played it online at all no okay have you seen the Isabel glitch right now yes <laughs> isn't it a fucking gift it's a great just Summoning a shit ton of Rathlos. I've I yeah. small Rathlos. Yeah, and then I like Infinite Waluigi. Yeah, it's just amazing. Uh, there's a if you don't know what we're talking about, there's a bug right now with Isabel where she can if she picks up an assist trophy. I don't know exactly how to do it, but if you pick up an assist trophy the right way, I think you have to like maybe pocket it or something. Yeah, I think you pocket it. Pocketing. You can infinitely call it. So people are calling. Like, infinite chain chomps, infinite anything in an assist trophy. It's really fucking hilarious. It's great. And really annoying if you're playing against it, but... There's also that glitch that, gl- glitch that crashes the game, or, like, I think you can do it with Villager, um, but if you pocket the, the rock from the slingshot and then just play catch with it with another yep. at Villager and, like, pocket it and then throw it back, I think what happens is that, like, the damage scales so much that it just breaks the game because yeah. they didn't cap it. Uh, so you just fucking break the game. Yeah, you just crash it. <laughs> it just it's crashes. Pretty great. Um, 
It's it's glitches like this I find acceptable because yeah because that's like a weird thing you have to do. And yeah, it's you not have like, to like purposely try to do it. Yeah. you're try you're pushing the game to its limits. Other than that, the game's really not buggy at all. No, it's not. I want to get good with certain fighters. Me too. Which I'm definitely gonna. Who's put. on your list of fighters you want to get good with? Uh, Pikachu. Uh, no, I, I. I mean, I'm pretty good with Pikachu, but I do want to get good with Zelda. Uh, K. Rule more because I I haven't used them that much. And I feel like there's somebody else, but I can't think of it off the top of my head. Right now, I want to get good with one of the Street Fighters. I want to get good with either Ken or Ryu. I'm thinking Ken. Just because I like Or his. one of the Belmonts. I want to get good with one of the Belmonts. One of the Belmonts would be cool, but I'm feeling one of the Street Fighters. And then, I mean, I'm already pretty good with Splatoon, with the Inkling. I'm already pretty good with Snake. I mean, it'd be cool to get good with Wolf, but I'm not bad with Wolf. It's just more, it's, no one's ever going to pick that fucking furry. So, <laughs> that edgelord furry. Yeah. But, uh, it'd still be, be pretty neat. And then I still wish Incineroar was better, man. I love playing as Incineroar. I just wish his recovery wasn't garb. Yeah. I did find out you can use his side smash and then his up smash back to back, which helps a lot. It's kind of like Ike. Right. But still, his recovery is about as awful as Ike's. It might have maybe even worse. Maybe. But yeah, that's about it. Yeah. Uh, all I've been playing is Smash. On D&D Corner, we started Waterdeep Dragon Heist. Yeah, new campaign. New campaign. You're playing a Blood Hunter. I'm still DMing. Yep. Um, we started in the Yawning Portal uh, Tavern in Waterdeep. Um, there was a fight going on that our Sasquatch got involved in. Yeah, we have a Sasquatch in our game. Yeah, but uh, let's. Did we run through that yet? We have we a. Might have, I think we said a lot. We have a like, Blood Hunter shifter, a Katsune yep. sorceress who wasn't there. We have a human six-year-old girl who is uh, a. Um, Wayfarer. Wayfarer, which is a homebrewed class on uh, DM's Guild, which is actually a really amazing class. Yeah, it's, it's a it's really cool. neat class. Uh, and we have a um, Ace Marham Ranger. Yep. Um, and the, uh, did you say? And Oh, yeah, and a Sasquatch Barbarian. Right. So the Sasquatch got involved in the tavern brawl, and then no one else got involved, and, but then a troll crawled out of the well in the yawning portal, uh, and then everyone got involved. And then you took up a job from Volo. Yep. Um, I liked my Volo voice. <laughs> uh, where you're looking for his friends. They ended up in a warehouse by the docks. This is definitely a city campaign. I love urban campaigns. Yeah, like I'm, I'm super excited for, for the setting. Um, they ended up in a tavern by the docks where they ran, in, ran into a bunch of Kenku. Uh, and then found uh, a, a rich guy who was with the, Volo's friend when they disappeared. Uh, now they're finding, trying to find a way into the Xanathar Guild's sewers. Kind of sewers. Yeah. I had to break down like to, for the players, like, okay, we're not in Barovia anymore. This isn't a sparse place. Someone always sees something. Bribery, intimidation, persuasion. There is always a way to get the information you want. And I used, like, all of those. Yeah, you, like, I liked what you did at the, um, the, the tavern over by the dock. The docks. Not the yawning portal, but the tavern over by the docks. Where, like, uh, the Asmar Ranger walks in and like heads turn because if you know anything about Asmar, they're uh, angel touched. They're um, they they are touched by celestials, so she has like an angelic guide and everything. But that all makes it Asmar are flawless. They are the most beautiful. They are whatever race at their finest. Generally human. Um, so obviously turns heads, and then Nick was able to bribe the bartender into telling them where Kenku generally are because he knew that the Xanathar Guild used Kenku. Um, yeah. She, he was like, hey, you know, she's a real big fan of birds and has never seen a Kenku up close. Like, things like, like that. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is really fun. Yeah. The, it's really a fun kind of... It's definitely different. You no, guys are... Is. Like, that one, I could see you guys were starting to fall into it a little bit more, but you got to get your stride in an urban campaign. Yeah, no, it's definitely, it's definitely different... And just, like, my character itself is going to be played completely different from my last one, but I'm going to fucking love every second of it. Yeah, it's, it's... The toughest part for me as a DM is getting motivation. Right. And you guys have successfully made it fucking impossible. I'm finding it. And it usually involves gold. But I... It's so hard to get motivation sometimes. 
Because, like, what's the motivation of a six-year-old girl? Right. So, like, that's why I want Casey on taking over your character. And then, like, I gave her the motivation. Like, she saw the pretty, the pretty lady, the Ace Mar Ranger, and the, the pretty lady looks, reminds me of mom, so I'm going to go hang out with her. Your motivation is, like, people are paying you. Yeah. So I keep throwing gold your way. Whether or not you'll get it is another question. Right. <laughs> like, but, like, but it's the, it's the whole, that's how you get them to like, do things. I, I'm getting paid for the same job twice because that's just how I did it. And, like, that's smart that like you're doing it the way that you're supposed to do it in these campaigns. The, the Sasquatch is more just, like, happy he has friends. Like, yeah. he doesn't give a fuck. He just wants friends. Yeah. Um, it's things like that. I, it's, it'll be a fun campaign, I think. Yeah, I, I think it'll be really fun. An urban campaign's really fun. Next week, I, I want to bring my Waterdeep map so you can see how big Waterdeep is. Because Waterdeep is fucking massive. Um, so, yeah. So you're, like, in the, in the mid-evening of Waterdeep right now. So you haven't really gotten a chance to do any shopping yet. Yeah. But once you finish this quest and... You go back to the yawning portal and take a nap. I'm gonna like go explore, go shopping, go do things. Yeah, bond as a team. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I don't know. What, I don't know what you want from me. <laughs> I don't know. I just, just, just a DM. Um. Uh, although, yeah, real quick, speaking of shopping, that I we walked to a a place that sold weird trinkets. <laughs> that was fucking. And awesome. I found uh a a dragon scale on the shelf. Uh, this entire place was like. A lot of cheap things that he was just trying to resell. Um, so I was like, "Can I tell if it's a real dragon scale?" So Nick I, and I let, let me set this up at a time. Yeah, yeah. Nick, Nick and I talked beforehand. He's based his character is very obviously based on a witcher. He's a blood hunter, which is already based on the witchers, but a shifter, which is really based on witchers. Anyway, Nick's basically playing a witcher, which is awesome. So he said, "Since I'm kind of a monster hunter up front." Is it okay if I can like know things about monsters I've encountered beforehand? I go, well, here's how we'll do that. Whenever we do this, you roll a d20. If it's one to ten, you don't know shit. If it's eleven to twenty, you do. And we we both decided like, okay, that's that's how we're gonna do this. So continue. <clears throat> yeah. So I ro I rolled to see if I could tell if this was a real dragon scale or not. I rolled and I passed. So I he was like, yes, this is a real dragon scale. So I was like, okay, how much is he selling it for? And he's like, he's selling it for like three gold. I was like, how much does it retail for? And he's like, a lot more. And I was like, I'm absolutely flipping this dragon scale because this guy has, is selling it as a real dragon scale, but he thinks it's fake. Yeah. Uh, so I bought it, and at, one, at a later point, I'm going to sell it and see how much gold I can get for it. Yeah, but you got to sell it to the right person. Right. you got to sell it so. to the right person. You might have to like persuade them yeah. and stuff like that, but I, I'm excited to try and flip it. I'm just excited I get to do voices that aren't my Barovian accent. <laughs> yeah. And if you, if you can't fucking tell yet, I'm really excited I get to play with accents more. Like... It's it's really fun. I like the the pompous asshole you found in the thing, in the in the warehouse. Right, who was just really upset he ended up in this situation. And he got his clothes dirty. And he got his clothes dirty. It was really fun. Um, I I really like this campaign. Um, yeah, it's gonna be a blast. I can already tell. Yeah, and then once we get to once we finish the dragon heist, uh, and doing whatever, I'm assuming this is an assumption because I know my I know my team. My assumption is you guys are going to end up with the gold, but I don't fucking know. Yeah. Um, but my, my assumption is you end up with the gold. The only thing you have left is glory. Uh, and that's when you go into the Undermountain. Well, and for you, more gold. So, um, but that's when you would go into the Undermountain, which is entirely different and great. And I, God, I hope you find the Spelljammer. God, I hope so, too. <laughs> it's like one of those things where I don't want to make it happen. I hope it happens organically because yeah. I don't want to make it happen. Right. But we'll see. But, like, God, it'd be so cool if you guys had a spell jammer. Because then, like, I'm saying, fuck this. This is a spell jammer campaign now. <laughs> I'm going to space. If you don't know what a spell jammer is, it's a thing for um, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons 2. Uh, that was basically D&D &D in space. Uh, it's amazing. And they, they brought it back, kind of. There's a, you can get a spell jammer in this. Anyway, um, check us out on social media. We are on both Instagram and Twitter at Navi underscore Tales. Again, at Navi underscore Tales. Um, Send us pictures of your Christmas presents. Um, hop into the Discord. Uh, pin tweet on our Twitter and Instagram. And uh, from Nick and me to you, uh, happy belated Christmas. Yeah, a couple days after Christmas. Yeah, because... Last episode of the year. Oh, uh, it is the last episode of the year. It is the last episode of the year. The next one after this will be in 2019. Neato. So you know what it's time for, ladies and gentlemen. Yep. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it's going to be fun. 
So uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, um, you'll find out. You'll find out. <laughs> so until then, we'll see you. Bye. Love you. The theory is that the main characters in Mother 1 are the parents in Mother 2. So Ness's parents are the uh, Arnon 10 and I forget the girl's name. But this one will explain, because this one really ties into Earthbound, so. Real will. When all the needles are pulled, the dragon will awaken and rose <clears throat> are catastrophic if the needles will pull, pull, if the needles were pulled. Pulled, not pulled. pulled. Meanwhile, the chimera, uh, this is going to be a long one. Lucas and Boney continue searching for salsa and, uh, I almost said Santa. We are in the fucking season. Dude, I'm, I want to search for some Salta and Sansa, too. <laughs> what the fuck did I just say? Anyways. There's... You have to say this word. Okay. Oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> Nick. Wait, I want to I want to try. Okay. Chupichu Pioi. Pioi. I've always Chupichu pronounced Pioi. it. Chupichapioi. Chupichapioi. Yeah, I guess. Or Chupichupioi. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird one. Chupi chupi. Uh, welcome to the mother franchise. I'll yeah. be your guide. Everything is weird. There she takes the jar of yummy pickles and provides the group with waters of time to sprinkle. Oh, what the fuck came out of my throat? <laughs> I hope that picked up. <laughs> he probably did. These mics are great. Duster temporal. I can never say this word properly. Along the way, he, Duster, Kumatora, and Boney face off against Pork. Pork. Mm. You almost called him Pokey. I respect I that. He asks that the group engages in a peaceful negotiation. <laughs> calling from blonde. Calling from blonde. <laughs> calling from the blondes. And then instructs Lucas to pull the final needle and awaken the dark dragon. Lucas walks over to the needle. Firmly. Firmly, firmly grasp it. 